Everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan, just chillin'. Just chillin'. chillin just chillin'. Because that's all we're allowed to do. Um, so Dylan, this week, as I talk, told you before we started recording to part the window a little bit, we're going to talk about realism. Because boy howdy, that's a game descriptor buzzword. <laughs> realism. <laughs> And the reason this is on my mind is kind of twofold. One, I've been spending a lot more time than I did in the before times, just kind of watching YouTube videos recently. And I've been seeing a lot of videos that kind of... I was trying to think of a folksy way of saying make me upset, and the things that came to mind were moisten my crumpets, and that's nothing. That, that, really, that really grills my ham. That really fries my grits. Um... <laughs> Why do you fry your grits? <laughs> you don't if you're a human. Um, but there's a there's a whole subset of videos that I personally find endlessly obnoxious in which it's like, hey, we brought on a real life historical swordmaster to critique movie fight scenes or like we brought on a real world bank security designer to talk about famous heist scenes in movies. And it invariably turns into just, like, this person who knows a lot about shit in the real world bashing famous movie scenes. Mm. And it annoys the hell out of me because that's not how movies work. <laughs> like, this is my tiny soapbox, but, like, what makes for a good fight in the real world probably isn't going to make for a good fight in film. Right. And similarly, a lot of really great fight scenes in movies make no sense if you examine, like, their realistic viability as a fight because that's not what they're trying to do a, a fight in real life is going to be cluttered and messy and people are going to get hurt and everything that a fight choreographer is doing is trying to one tell a clear story and two not let the actors get hurt so right it's one of those things that just annoyed me and that got me thinking about similar things in games and takes about like certain game systems not being realistic or certain games not like games that are are panned for elements of their design that do not track to the real world perfectly and this was then compounded a couple days ago when ubisoft released a cinematic trailer for the next assassin's creed game i'm not super into assassin's creed at this juncture i used to really like them and then there have been too many and i've lost interest ah uh, yes the before days yep <laughs> back before it was a fucking yearly series but the new one is is coming out and it's called assassin's creed valhalla and the historical period that it's taking place in is the Dark Ages in the at the height of, like, the Viking Age. And it looks cool. The cinematic trailer was very cool. It was a, a well-done trailer. Ubisoft has always been very good at trailers. And then the discourse started. Because... Oh, oh there's discourse? Oh, of course there is. Uh, because in this <sighs> game, just like in the last Assassin's Creed game, and maybe the one before that, I don't know. I never played Origins. But in Assassin's Creed Odyssey you could choose at the outset whether you wanted to play as a male avatar or a female avatar. And they're doing the same thing in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And for some reason, that made the internet make angry gamer noises. Of course. <laughs> because why are there women on these Viking warships? Ignoring the fact that, like, 
that is based in historical fact. There is historical documentation of, like, Viking shield maidens and Viking, like, female Viking war chiefs. So, like, leaving that aside, right. that also kind of put this in my head of, like, how much are games required to be true to the real world? Because I would also argue... give those people... Like, I, <laughs> I was joking about this previously on another subject that won't be mentioned here, but give all, everyone complaining about that a swirly. They're the biggest fucking losers, and I right? hope they continue to get bullied. <laughs> <laughs> you know what misinformed sexist pedants get? Swirlies! Swirlies! <laughs> Incredible. Uh, but yeah, like that, that got me thinking about, like, game's relationship with reality because i would argue that realism should not be the standard that we are holding games to mm -hmm. because reality is a lot of the time very boring <laughs> if i'm being frank so i want to talk about some games that like very pointedly don't engage with realism or very pointedly like put realism to the side but also some games that do engage with a more realistic idea in a way that's interesting rather than tedious, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I guess to kick it off, the, the first one I want to talk about is one of my favorite genres of games, as everyone who is out there listening to this should know by now, the stealth genre. What? I love stealth games. Stealth games Chris, are fucking cool. They are Did you know game... they didn't have uh, water arrows in in medieval times? Yeah. <laughs> Incre well, yes, obviously that's one thing. Uh, but that actually takes you to like one of the one of the things that I kind of want to talk about is okay. in Thief the Dark Project, which is, as I've mentioned before on the show, one of my favorite games ever made. Also the game I was referencing yeah, for exactly. people who don't know. Uh, you, your main tool in that game as you sneak through the homes of the wealthy is your bow and an assortment of increasingly wild arrows. These arrows are things like on the more mundane side, there's just arrows that you can use for fighting or just like you can shoot at like you know the big brass bell at the other end of the hall to distract the guards then you've got things like you know the rope arrow which also makes sense you've got an arrow with rope tied to it so you can climb and then there's the water arrow which is a, a very wet arrow that puts out torches and then there's the moss arrow that makes moss grow on the ground so your footsteps are quieter and they they extrapolate out from there but as much as stealth games work Stealth games only really work within an abstraction of reality. Like, in the real world, if I'm sneaking into a manor and there's a guard ahead of me and, like, a light goes out, they're gonna put the light back on, right? Right. Like, if I shoot, if they hear a gong noise at one end of the hallway, they're not gonna slowly mosey over to that end and then mosey back and start standing still again like nothing happened. Like, and this is something that's true of all game AI. Like, game AI is good when it is predictable. Mm -hmm. When it is maybe not overly predictable, but when you know what it's going to do based on what you do and you can plan around that and you're only surprised sometimes. And that's not how people work. And if a stealth game was based completely in reality, it just wouldn't function. And this is a very simple and obvious version of the kind of thing I wanted to talk about that I'm using as a segue into... Yeah, and I guess you were talking about stealth games and abstraction, and, you know, some, someone might say, Oh, but Chris, a, a Thief the Dark Project is 
it's it's an abstraction. It, it's a, it's a fantasy game, not a real historical period piece like the Assassin's Creed series with their ancient aliens named after Roman gods. Mm, someone sounded like they're looking for a swirly today. I mean, that's that's what. <laughs> <laughs> but like for real, you can't complain about fucking historical accuracy in Assassin's Creed, a game that is about the ongoing battle between the Templars and the Hashash. Keens? I, I don't know how you I think that's how that. it would be pronounced. But uh, also ancient alien gods and DNA time travel and like... Yeah, fuck yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Now. The Apple of Eden was real, guys. <laughs> You're gonna tell me I'm wrong? Gonna tell me I'm wrong? Grow up, bro. Grow up. So, so why don't we look at, you know, a real historically factual game that, that is completely grounded in realism. Let's look at Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake. Oh <laughs> yep. Totally. I mean <laughs> I mean, I don't want to I don't want to be too real, but uh the the final boss fight of Metal Gear Rising Revengeance proved to be <clears throat> a little prescient. A little prescient. Yep. But anyway, let's talk about Metal Gear Solid 3 because Metal Gear Solid 3 is a game that is full of abstractions but also has a couple of like really fun nods to hyperrealism. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid 3 is, I, and it's weird that I'm bringing this up now because I was thinking about this during work because, oh my god, I was so bored at work today. Oh my god. <laughs> um, but like, you know, Metal Gear Solid 1 is a pretty, for the most part, 90% of the time grounded science fiction romp. Yeah, and, um, and the other 10% of the time you're fighting a tattooed shaman with a minigun in a freezer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, schlocky action. I love um, it. Metal Gear it's Solid 2 hard. is... Yeah. Metal Gear Solid 2 is, like, a metatextual, like, I don't really know if I can call it cyberpunk, but, like, it has elements of cyberpunk. Look at itself and the series it belongs to. And then you have Metal Gear Solid 3, which is a science fantasy period piece that yeah. takes place in a jungle <laughs> in Russia. <laughs> and that's a wild combination of genre descriptors, and I love it. Right. Um, it's really accurate. Let's talk about the Russian jungles for a second. <laughs> Yeah, if, if, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that there's a lot of overlap between Assassin's Creed fans and Metal Gear Solid fans. However, I will say that one of the alternate costumes Snake has in Metal Gear Solid 4 is an Altair costume. It's not. It is. Yeah, that's... that's. I, I can't remember if that that's was like a pre-order bonus I, or I'm DLC. I'm trying to decide or... if that is more or less wild than the Prince of Persia outfit in For Honor. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say more. Yeah. <laughs> but not by as much as I wish it was. I think he even, like, curls his left ring finger when he has that equipped. Oh my god. Anyway, why are we talking about Assassin's Creed uh, Solid 3? No, I'm sorry, I, I gotta look this up. You can definitely edit this out, I'm sorry <laughs> that this is gonna be messy, but... In Metal Gear Solid 3, uh, it's... Like, like I said it's earlier... It's set in the it's... dense subtropical rainforest jungles of Russia. Yeah, no, I will not let that go. But... I think what it does is it, it and I guess so, someone could argue, yeah, but that's like James Bond. It's not going for realism, but it's also like, yeah, shocker. The fiction is honoring other fiction. Okay, anyway, um, so <laughs> <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater takes place in the 60s. It stars a spy who has to take down a giant nuclear ta uh, battle tank that instead of treads has like drills. Um... <laughs> 
in this game, in this very realistic take on the James Bond, <laughs> uh, the James Bond genre of spy flick, he fights a man who controls bees, a former Soviet astronaut who's now like a fire demon, I think, um, a man who can shoot electricity from his hands, um, a ghost, <laughs> just straight up a ghost. Uh, God, what else? I, I know there's like one oh and a snake spider-man <laughs> i feel like if you can you can kind of accept that because it's awesome don't complain about oh there there's what are what are gamers complaining about with the new assassin's creed that like there yeah, are there's women a who lady fight. with an axe in the viking boat <laughs> who the fuck cares <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you i care positively i think it's cool yeah like I'm sorry that your weird fixation on like not even historical accuracy yeah, at this point, just like it is historically accurate. Yeah, and you would accept historically inaccurate shit from a bunch of other things, but when it comes to gender representation, you're going to draw your line in the sand. Yeah, no, it's bullshit. Um, yeah, come on now. But Metal you just Gear Solid, look like a chump. Metal Gear Solid Three is wild because in the midst of all of this, like completely bonkers genre shit that's going on mm -hmm. like completely wild yeah it also has these mechanics that like make you want to treat it like a very real world like yeah yeah i would have, agree with that you have to eat you have to like change your camouflage gear based on the terrain you're in you have to if you get wounded you have to like tend to the wounds in a way that isn't just like click on the healing item it's trying to draw you into this world that is completely wild with an emphasis on mechanics that are a little bit more grounded and a little bit more, like, still abstracted, but but much more real and much more, yeah. like, asking you to view the world as a real place, which is kind of a fun tightrope act leading all the way up to the fucking... What's the, what's the boss fight you can starve the dude? <laughs> the end. The boss fight's name is The End. Or is wait, no, you're talking, no. About, you're talking about the fear, aren't you? I... The one where, oh no, you don't starve him, but, uh... There, there is one who you can, uh, like, he'll get tired and he'll, like, eat some food, but you can throw tainted food out there and he'll go for that, and then when he eats it, like, he'll get sick. And the, the way that you cause, the way that you taint your meat, if I can use the worst verbiage, is by just turning the game off and letting time pass. Which is, again, a weird nod to realism in this otherwise really over-the-top world. And it's part of what makes Metal Gear Solid 3 so unique, is this this weird balance between, like, I won't say very grounded mechanics, but more grounded than most mechanics. It, it tries to create an illusion that, like, everything that's going on in the game is, like, its own real organic thing. Yeah. It um, almost has the same vibe as something like uh, No Man's Sky, I was going to say uh, Pokemon Gold. Yeah. Where, um, or Majora's know, Mask or all of those games that are built on systems that kind of like, I think I've heard someone refer to them as like clockwork games before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where like the whole game is composed of all of these different systems that are kind of running on their own axes and where they intersect is where like the AI takes over and you kind of have to like figure out what's going to happen. And it's a it's a cool way of of drawing the player into it, making those elements a little bit more realistic. Yeah, I think something we talked about before we started recording that I don't know if you touched on was uh, in addition to the fear, there's also the end, 
where if you save the game while you're fighting him and turn the game off and wait a week, he will have died of old age. Oh my god, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, so Metal Gear Solid 3 does a lot to like make itself feel real, but it also doesn't limit itself to that. It's not going for Splinter Cell, it's going for Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Um, see also the weird like futuristic we don't even have this technology that exists in 1985 circa Metal Gear Solid 5 (laughs) yeah see Metal Gear Rising Revengeance the fucking jet propulsion rocket katana wielded by Jetstream Sam (laughs) I Uh, said my sword was a tool of justice not to be used on the weak I love it Uh, (laughs) to wrap up I do I want to talk since I, I kicked us off with Assassin's Creed, I want to wrap it wrap us up with Assassin's Creed. Oh, good. And I want to talk about the first Assassin's Creed, because in a lot of ways, that was the most grounded of the games. Mm-hmm. Like, the ancient alien tech only comes in at the very end. And you don't even know it's ancient alien. Yeah, until... it's just weird <laughs> magic tech. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's the most of all of them it and Assassin's Creed 2 are probably the most like set in the actual historical period that they're about. And mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed 1, and I, I I think I've talked about this on this show before, but it remains my favorite design decision about that game. And it remains the reason that like even with all of the quality of life improvements that came with the later games in the series, Assassin's Creed 1 is still my favorite. The way that the missions are set up in Assassin's Creed 1 is you get to whatever city the mission is going to take place in you go to the Assassin's Guild and they tell you, all right, this is your target. Go gather information about them. And you gather that information by doing like one of, I think there's four or five different kinds of missions. You either tail a target to an alley and beat them up so they talk. You pick someone's pocket. You sit on a bench to eavesdrop on a conversation. You, is that it? That might be it, honestly. I don't. <laughs> it's been a while since I played Assassin's Creed 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if there's more than that, it's only like one or two other options. So they're very simplistic and they, they on the negative side, they do get old. Like you're doing yeah. the same thing before every every mission. And then once you do those, you go back and they're like, okay, now you can go do the mission. And like usually there's a little bit of like an event happening that you are interrupting via assassination. I can't believe the first Assassin's Creed is actually just Sly 2 and 3. It's not not that. <laughs> um... <laughs> But what I love is that if you want to, if you're just playing the game, you can go and do those missions and like, you know, tick the boxes and then go and run right up and do the stab and run away. Mm -hmm. But what those missions give you beyond just being the boxes you have to check to go forward are they also give you like pieces of information. So like you might pick someone's pocket and then if you look in your menu after doing that mission, you might have like a map of where on the rooftops all the guard all the uh the archers are going to be positioned during the during the speech that you're going to be assassinating during or you might get the info out of beating someone up that like oh there's this like this door on the second story that is was supposed to be repaired but my repairman couldn't do it that might be a good place to sneak in and so if you just like if you look at what the game is actually giving you is it's giving you tips as to how to carry out these missions without actually placing those as like pips on your map that like go here then go here you have to actually do the homework of like looking at like oh this is the gap in the archer's sight lines that i can exploit 
or, oh, this is like the back route in that's going to give me less resistance and make it less likely that I get caught before I do the deed. That's and I fucking really cool. love that. As, as someone who never went back to the first Assassin's Creed because it missed the quality of life features, don't hate me. No, that's um, fair. Like That sounds really awesome. And like whenever my friends were trying to talk to me about the first Assassin's Creed game, they never like were able to quite capture what made it so special. But like now I kind of want to revisit it. I wonder if it has like a port on modern consoles or a Steam port or something. I think it's available on Steam. Uh, like I said, I haven't played it in a long time, so who's to say if I would pick it up now and be as forgiving of all of the quality of life things that are missing from it? I mean, you're talking to someone who routinely plays N64 and PS1 True. games. I'm willing True. to put up with a little jank. But, like, that's the element of that game that I think is so unique and that I would love to see more games kind of do is this, like, giving you diegetic clues. Diegetic here meaning, like, in-world rather than, like, HUD-based. Mm -hmm. Like, making you take <clears throat> the me. moment. And it, in a similar way that, like, a bestiary in an RPG. Like, that kind of optional information that will tell you how to better fight the monsters is another way of kind of adding... It's not making the game more realistic, but it's making the way that you have to engage with it feel more grounded, if that makes sense. And I think right. that's cool. I think that that's something that I would like to see more games do, is find ways of delivering information that are less gamey. That is what I have for this topic and for this Monday. Uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I hope that you had fun, Dylan. This was kind of a weird one. I, d I didn't really fully know where it was going to go when I started yeah. talking. Um, I mean, I was kind of dwelling on the controversy, so I'm yeah, sorry if I, that, no, if you're that okay. like, kind it's of been, shoehorned. Huh? It's been fucking bothering me, too. It's just, it's so dumb. I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not going to let myself go down this rabbit hole. It's just so dumb. Uh, hey, everyone out there, if you're a sexist, don't listen to our show. <laughs> You're not welcome here. I'm willing to I'm willing to draw that line in the sand. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Fair. Uh, but you know who else is welcome? You know who is welcome here? Everybody else. I well, good people. <laughs> I, don't know. I got lost. You had like a system reboot. I could hear it. <laughs> yeah, because I realized what I was saying, and it wasn't great. Uh, all right, Chris, what you need to do is you need to insert, like, the the Windows uh, XP boot up noise. <laughs> the, the, Just the really fucking... faintly. Anyway, anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to the show, everybody. I love you. And we will be back to talk to you again on Thursday. Until then, thank you for listening to Backstage Gaming. If you like our show, remember to leave a rating, a review on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on Spotify, on Stitcher, on the Google Play Store, on a whole bunch of podcatchers. Also, you can find us at our website if you want more info about us, if you want to reach out to us via our contact form, if you want to know more about me and Dylan, or if you want to know about some of the terms we use on this show. I hope you'll check it out. It's over there at bsgpod.com. Um, if you want to check us out on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. Did that all without looking at the document. Had to pull it up. Anyway, uh, mm -hmm. if you want to engage with us or talk about any of the things we discuss on the show, I recommend you use that hashtag BSGPod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. If you want to check him out, you can find him on his Instagram at Instagram.com slash Brendan French Arts. I realized I just plugged the wrong site first. It's fine. Um, you can also find him on Brennan-French.squarespace.com. Uh, his name is spelled B-R-E-N-N-E-N. And then for his square space, it would be hyphen French, but that's fine. You can also find his Twitter. His handle is at Brennan underscore French. 
Thank you also to our friend BioQuery. He is the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. If you like his music, you should check him out at his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. That's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or you can search for BioQuery on Spotify. Thank you to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. They are a great network full of video game podcasts. And if you like our show, you'll probably like some of theirs. So go check them out on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you, of course, to you all of our lovely patrons, or people who will soon be our patrons. Mm. It's thanks to you guys that we are not losing money making this show, and that means the world to us, and we appreciate each and every one of you. And if you want to help support the show too, you can go check out patreon.com slash bsgpod. That is all I've got for today. We will talk to you again on Thursday, and until then, don't be sexist. Yeah, like really, it's not that hard. It's not a good look, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.